Welcome in to another episode of the Destination Debbie College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Paul. You can find me on X at Gump7285. Joined by my co-host, Derek. You can find him on X at D underscore Cook93. We're back again. Another Saturday of college football almost in the books for week 11. We're getting extremely close to the end of the season. Most teams only have two games left. And then we have the conference championship, and then bowl season, and then the big daddies, the playoff games. This season has just flew by in a hurry. It's unbelievable. It is almost over. And we still don't have a clear-cut Heisman Trophy frontrunner at this point. It's just, what a season, man. This is one of the best I think we've had in quite some time in terms of so many good teams, so many good players. It's not, you know, top heavy. It's not Alabama's at the top, whatnot. It's it's lovely to see. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful that, you know, like you said, we don't have a clear cut number one at the very top on, on anything, really. Uh, we have our high caliber uh, players that we anticipate to be great, but some of them have, you know, underperformed so far this season, and there's kind of been some guys that have came out of nowhere, which is typical for every season, but I feel like more so this year. Um, I, I just love the competition at the top. I mean, I know we've got a top four currently, but, you know, there's six, seven teams that could make a, an argument right now for the college football playoffs. I'm loving it, man. Absolutely loving every second, every minute of every game. Apologize if you heard some screaming when I was talking a minute ago. A little two-year-old downstairs is just having having lots of fun with the puppy. He just can't contain himself, apparently. But we're going to get right into it with our recap and instant reaction to the games. First up, we got number three, Michigan, visiting number 10, Penn State, and Happy Valley. Man, what a game this was. I saw every single snap of it. Being a Michigan fan, this was classic Big Ten Michigan football. Just a defensive slugfest, man. J.J. McCarthy only threw the ball eight times, completed seven of them, or 60 yards. All of those in the first half. So Michigan didn't throw the ball once on a recorded play in the second half. They only threw it once. That was a DPI. So, of course, the play does not count. So, Michigan just straight up dominated Penn State in the second half. They said, we're going to run the ball up the gut every single play for a whole half, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. And that's what they did. Uh, Yeah, like you said, I mean, you summarized it up pretty well. I mean, it was just a a classic Big Ten, you know, drag it out defensive battle, in my opinion. Uh, Drew Aller didn't do that great as well. Uh, he had some flashes. And he made some some bad throws as well. I know the one it was uh, to to Saunders over the middle, and he you know threw it behind him and got blown up. And I think the next play was a fourth down, and you know Saunders, not Saunders, excuse me, Aller threw the ball and nobody was there. You know, I I feel like I want to blame a lot of this on the Penn State coaching staff. Uh, we we've talked here recently where I'm, I'm personally not a big James Franklin fan as a football coach. Uh, he's a heck of a recruiter. I feel like he can, he can get kids from about anywhere, but as a developmental type guy and getting all these high, high caliber uh, recruits, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Michigan flexed their muscles today and, you know, wore them out, drug them out and beat them in the end. You know, the, the game was never in question for Michigan but it was never really close in my opinion either. I know the final score was 24-15 and Penn State went for two twice and 
You know, if James Franklin had half a mind, he could have kicked two PATs and only been a seven-point game and then maybe a little difference at the end. But, yeah, Michigan just flexed on him. as Michigan all the way, start to finish. Yeah, as far as Penn State, like you said, Oller didn't play too well. He had some flashes of pretty good football, but in the end, overall, not a good game for him. Katron Allen outplayed Nicholas Singleton running the ball. Katron Allen's the number one, man. It's... It's clear cut at this point. He's playing better. So that's unfortunate for Nick Singleton. He had over 1,000 yards, 13 touchdowns freshman year, and I was expecting him to have a big year. And so far, it's been extremely disappointing. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. Uh, Katron had 11 carry, or 12 carries a day. Singleton had 13. Katron 72. Singleton had 43. Uh, neither of them had a touchdown. The only rushing touchdown went to Drew Aller. Uh, Allen had a 34-yard run, which was his longest of the day. Allen averaged six yards a carry, and uh, Singleton averaged 3.3. I, I think the you know pretty obvious to me who the better back is at this point, at least in this offense, is is Katron Allen. Uh, I still I still think Singleton has a Debbie aspect and NFL running back. He is the better choice, but I think by and large, Allen is the better back for college football right now. That he is. Speaking of running backs, Blake Corum had one hell of a ball game, 26 carries for 145 and a pair of touchdowns. And just seeing him in the post-game press conference and interviews, man, he looked like he was in a bar fight. Bloody nose, blood all over the face. He had a great ball game. He was the heartbeat of the offense like he typically is, and he took it to him, man. Donovan Edwards had 10 for 52 and a touchdown, and J.J. McCarthy had 34 rush yards including being sacked once. So the ground yeah, game did it. You, you ride those big uglies all the way, as I always say. Yeah, the big uglies take you to the promised land. Donovan Edwards did all his damage in the first half, and uh, Blake Corum, just, he was the grounded out guy. He he just wore that Penn State front down, along with the offensive line. You know, it, it was all Blake Corum in the second half, like you said. Um, J.J. only had one pass attempt in the second half. didn't count because it was a DPI. So they rushed the ball the whole second half, and – Penn State couldn't stop him. I mean, they did a couple times, but, you know, I think there was one drive. It was a 10-play drive for eight minutes. I believe that was in the third quarter. I mean, it's it's hard to win a ball game when a team's got, got one offensive possession for eight minutes and a half. And keep in mind, while Michigan was out there dominating, Coach Harbaugh was enjoying his hotel room, in my opinion. He was suspended less than 24 hours prior to kickoff for the final three regular season games. He can coach throughout the week but he cannot be on the sidelines for the games. And it didn't really look like it affected him too much as terms of performance, but you could definitely tell things were out of sorts at times, had to use some timeouts when you probably shouldn't have. So the Big Ten decided to keep everybody in the dark and doing it you know, last minute, 20, less, 20 hours or less from kickoff. Not a lot of time to regroup, get everything in order, and all that kind of stuff, but... They got the W and move on to Maryland. Yeah, I mean, I'll say one thing about the Big Ten, you know, commissioner and, and all that who who came up with this witch hunt, you know, uh, doing what you did is, is a B-word move. I mean, you th- there's no way around it. You, you knew you were going to suspend this guy earlier in the week. Waiting until Friday to do it is just unacceptable. Uh, I know you sent me something about Michigan sending a um, – what was it? A – not a harassment order, a restraining order. 
So good on Michigan for that. And I love Dan Orlovsky's take about it being a witch hunt. I'm glad somebody with a platform finally said something about it. Yeah, the TRO, the temporary restraining order, still has to go in front of a judge and be heard. Unfortunately, that did not happen before kickoff on Saturday. So as of right now, you know, if that is granted, Harbaugh will be back on the sidelines for Maryland, pending any other legalities and whatnot. But we will move on to Alabama and Kentucky. Alabama did win 49-21 and lock up the SEC West. So they will be in the SEC title game once again. They could lose the next game. It doesn't matter. The team in second place is Ole Miss, pending the outcome against Georgia. And even if they do win out, they did lose to Bama, so they do not have the tiebreaker, and Bama is in. Uh, Jalen Milrow, we were pumping him up a little bit in spring ball. He played extremely well once again. He is really coming into his own. Obviously, as a rusher, he can get it done, but he is improving week to week as a passer. Six total touchdowns, pulled a bow next this week, three on the ground, three through the air. And roll tide, baby. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky didn't stand a chance in this game, brother, absolutely. You know, like you said, Jalen Milrow, he's, he seems like he's finally in his own. Um, and maybe dark horse Heisman candidate since that's so up in the air at this point. I know he's got the, was it LSU, right? They lost to LSU early in the year. No, Alabama. No. Who they lost it? Texas. Alabama lost Texas. Yeah, it was Texas. Excuse my French. They just beat to LSU last week or the week before. Um, but Miro looks like he's finally in in his own. Jace McClellan, you know, didn't do anything too crazy this game, but you know, it's again Alabama week to week. We don't know who the leading receiver is going to be uh, this week. It happened to be was it Kobe Prentice? You know. It's it's week to week, but Milrow looks like he's unstoppable on the ground, man. I that that to me is the biggest thing takeaway. I know he only had thirty six on the ground, but eight of his carries, three of them resulted in a touchdown. I'll take that all day for my starting quarterback. Uh, the only blemish on his on his stats is that he threw one interception. Yeah, it's bound to happen. But great game for him on Kentucky side of things. Ray Davis once again had a pair of touchdowns. That's what he does. He is the touchdown man. He also had 32 receiving yards to go along with his 26 rushing yards. So, again, their offense struggled as they've done all year. Barry and Brown, two catches for three yards. Dane Key, four for 46. Devin Leary, only 158 pass yards. So it's hard to stay in games and win when you can't even throw the ball and everyone can just zero in on your star running back. Yeah, I mean, you hit the, again hit the nail on the head. Ray Davis only had 26 on the ground. I mean, I know he had two touchdowns, but 12 for 26, that's not not too great. I, he's the only reason they even really scored. I know that O'Leary or Leary scored uh, or had a passing touchdown, but you know, 49 to 7 is a lot worse than 49 21. You're not wrong. We'll go head out west to number 21 at Colorado. This one was one on. Uh, just about a buzzer beater, I believe. A field goal by Arizona. So Colorado lost it late. Once again, for them, same story. Defensive struggles. Offensive line can't protect anything at this point. The run game was non-existent. Existent. Shadur was the leading rusher at 29 yards. He did have a touchdown on the ground and two through the air. It's Colorado this season, unfortunately. So they fall to four and six. And... Honestly, I don't know if they go bowling this year. You know, bowl eligible of hitting the six wins. 
They play at Washington State next week, and we know that offense can run up the score against anybody, it seems. And then they play at Utah. So they got to win both games to go bowling. But for me, I took them over four and a half wins, so I'm hoping they just beat Washington State, and I'll be one happy man. And we know Washington State seems to have a trip up here and there. Um, I don't know if Colorado's defense is enough to elicit a trip up, but we'll see. Um, I mean, this this offense is entirely predicated around uh, Shadur, you know, just slinging the rock. Uh, not a bad game overall, like you said. He had he was leading rusher 13 for 29, 22 with 35 through the air for 262 and two touchdowns. No picks again. Was sacked three times, but you know it's it's hard to win the game when you know, all you're doing is putting up points. My um, Arizona just like you said just beat them. Now on the Arizona side of things, 2024 eligible running back Jonah Coleman. Had 11 carries for 179. Tedaroa McMillan, the star sophomore wide receiver, had nine catches for 107 and a touchdown. And sneaky senior Jacob Cowing had three for 24 and a touchdown. And an interesting little storyline, wide receiver Montana Luminous Craig, who was at Colorado you know, previously and played in the spring game and played extremely well while Dion was there, opted to transfer after that and headed to Arizona and put up five catches for 67 against his old team. So yeah, good for him. Caught all five targets. Uh, good on him. You know, Arizona just had a little bit more firepower today or fireworks. Like we like to say, Arizona got it done. Yeah. I had Colorado winning this one, but Arizona was too much. They played extremely well this season. What head coach Jed fish has done. He's turned things around. And he's done it pretty impressively so far. In the what-the-hell-happened game of the week, Oklahoma State, number 15, traveling down to Orlando to play UCF, got walloped 45-3. to I don't think anybody saw this one coming. I know I sure as hell didn't. R.J. Harvey, running back for UCF, put up 200 rush yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Star baseball player and quarterback, John Rice Plumley, formerly at Ole Miss, Put up 299 through the air and only 11 completions. Three touchdowns through the air and 74 on the ground. <laughs> I don't know what happened here. Defense couldn't up. stop nosebleed and offense couldn't get one. Uh, Plumley had himself a J.J. McCarthy day. Extremely efficient, like you said. 11 completions for 299. It's over, t- what, 20, 27.2 per completion. I mean, that's that is insane. I mean, I don't think there's much to say here other than I did not expect this. Uh, this was just an old-fashioned take them out back and whip their butt. It was 45 to 3. I mean, I don't have anything else to say about this game, to be honest, just other than the fact that I figured it'd be a ball game. Yeah, we didn't plan to bring this game up, but they left us no other option. Even rising like Debbie that. Darling, Ollie Gordon II, did not have an Ollie Gordon game. 12 carries for 25 yards. And two catches for 27 yards. So he was absolutely put on lockdown. As long as rush today was five yards. I mean, that's, that's a tough day for Ollie Gordon so far this year. And we'll head back out to the East Coast side of things. In the ACC, Georgia Tech at Clemson. I thought Georgia Tech had a shot to get the upset with how well Haynes King, their quarterback, has played. Former Texas A&M product. 
But Cade Klubnik was here to ball, baby. 205 and four through the air. Phil Moffa, 96 yards on the ground, and Will Shipley made his return to the lineup, 77 and a touchdown on the ground. So Clemson has turned things around too little but too late since Dabo's now infamous radio segment that he had a couple weeks ago. Since then, they are 2-0, and they're playing pretty damn well. Yeah, I think they currently sit at 6-4 and on the season, and um, you know the ACC conference overall is pretty weak. I'm sure we're going to talk about Florida State later at some time. Um, but, you know, Clem, like you said, Clement came out and balled. He had four touchdowns, threw a pick. But just, again, too much firepower for Georgia Tech. He was only sacked two times. Moffa and Shipley both had decent decent days. Shipley had a touchdown. I mean, this is the, the recipe for success for Clemson. Should have been doing this all year. And rising freshman Tyler Brown did have a spectacular one how to one-handed touchdown grab that I'm sure many of you have already seen the highlight. If you haven't, just head on over to the good good old X and type in Tyler Brown, and I'm sure you'll find it rather quickly. It was very impressive. And then yeah, I didn't Georgia see that Tech one, but I have to. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a good one. And Georgia Tech, Haynes King had four picks. Freshman wide receiver Eric Singleton had a quiet day, five catches for 28 yards. Then he completed a pass for eight yards. So he did not get going whatsoever. And as you mentioned, Florida State. Here we have it. Florida State, Miami. We talked about this, previewing it on the Gridiron Fantasy Show last Wednesday. And we we called it right. Low-scoring affair. We took the under on this one. I think we hit it. They only put up 47 total. Florida State wins by the skin of their teeth, 27-20. It was not pretty, but we expected that with this rivalry. Typically, it's not. Yeah, I think the over-under was 52-and-a-half, so I'm I'm pretty positive. I mean, obviously, we would. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's hard to bet on scores and spreads and stuff when it comes to rivalry game, and this is one of the best college football rivalry. Well, not as of late, but it's a great college football rivalry. Yeah, this one, there's really no standout or impressive performances other than Trey Benson had 80 and two on the ground. Ken Coleman had 24 and a touchdown. Johnny Wilson, 82 receiving yards. Jordan Travis could not continue his four game streak of a rushing touchdown as he had negative 30 yards. So he was sacked a good bit. They couldn't, couldn't contain the pressure for long form. 265 and a touchdown through the air. And then on Miami side, Emory Williams started the game, had two touchdowns. And then Tyler Van Dyke came in at some point and went two of seven. So Miami was, they were in it to win it the whole game. I believe there was a fourth down stop with under three minutes or so to go that sealed the deal for him. So they did have a chance to come down and tie and they just couldn't get it done. Yeah, this, uh, this was a great game. I mean, not quite the same as like the Michigan Penn state game as type of game I love personally, but, um, Competitive games is all we ask for as college football fans, and this was definitely one of them. Miami had the chance. They squandered it away. Yeah, unfortunate for them. with They did start the season 4-0, 5-0, but since then I've just went downhill. And we'll move out the coast a little bit. We're more towards the inside of the United States and the SEC. Another little surprising, surprising the way the game went. Number 13, Tennessee, lost. 
on the road to number 14, Missouri, 36 to 7. I thought this was going to be a close, high scoring game, but Mizzou's defense really stepped up today. Joe Milton didn't play too terrible, as you would expect the morning putting seven up. It wasn't on his shoulders. 267, a touchdown, a pick, and 36 on the ground. He was their leading rusher. Next man up is 22 rush yards, so the rushing game was non-existent today, unfortunately. He was also the leading rusher with 10 carries compared to 7. So it was not a good day for the Tennessee Volunteers whatsoever offensively. Receivers threw to a, a plethora of them. Seemed like nobody could really dominate this game. And he did fumble twice and only lost one of them. So he had two total turnovers. Quiet day for Luther Burden, four for 26 and a touchdown. And this was all Cody Schrader, man. The former walk-on. Ooh, buddy. 35 carries for 205 and a touchdown and another 116 receiving. He put the team on the backpack and said, let's go. We're going to get another ranked win and head to 8-2 and two on the season. Yeah, you get a running back with 321 yards or scrimmage yards. I mean, it's 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 just a day. I mean, 206 on the ground and 115 in the air, or 205 on the ground, 160 through the air. I mean, just just a day. The 115 on only five catches as well. Missouri just buckled, you know, put their bootstraps on and just went out and kicked kicked Tennessee's butt. Tennessee couldn't get the ground game going. Yeah, before today on the the whole season, Schrader only had 75 receiving yards. That's how he almost one and a half times that just today. Looks like some death. Oh, I think we're back. Apologize if uh had a little bit of pause there. Here's some technical difficulties, but we are here. We're still rolling. If you didn't hear it, I'll go ahead and repeat it. Luther Burden had a quiet game again. I thought he would bounce back and show up today and put up some big numbers, but he looked like freshman year Luther Burden, very, very quiet, which is unfortunate because he started the season on an absolute tear. And since about mid-October, outside of touchdowns, he's really only had one good game of 97 receiving yards, and each game has not been very impressive, to me at least. Yeah, I'm with you on that. He hasn't looked up to the uh, Debbie hype that he's received so far. Uh, still personally a Luther Burden fan, but he's <clears throat> doesn't seem to be a focal point of this offense when it when it matters, although they got the job done today, like you said, with Schrader getting 205 on the ground. But uh, if I was a Luther Burden, you know, Devi owner or C2C owner, I might be a little bit worried. Yeah, I'm glad I was selling him week one, week two. Glad I haven't bought back into him because this is exactly what I was afraid of. Yeah, the ups and downs, I feel like, is just up Luther Burden's alley on this Missouri team. Oh, absolutely. He's Unfortunately, this is the downside of Luther Burden. We'll move on to what was a really close game, and Washington almost screwed the pooch. They beat Utah 35-28. Uh, Washington gave up a pick six, just literally handed the ball back to Utah. One of those good old, we're going to celebrate going to the end zone by dropping the ball as soon as we cross the line. And he did not cross the line with the ball. He dropped it way too soon, and Utah jumped on it. So they they escaped. Very, very luckily for them. 
yeah, I'm going to have to watch that game because, I mean, I absolutely hate when when players make boat-headed mistakes like that. Um, I feel like it happens all too often. These head coaches need to get their players in line, and, you know, you don't drop the ball until you're two steps in the end zone, kid. Yeah, I've never understood the whole let's drop the ball as soon as we cross it. I don't – never understood it, and he dropped it about the one-and-a-half, two-yard line. It was not even close. You didn't even need to look at the replay to see it. I can't remember. There was a, a kid a couple years ago. I feel like it was a Pac-12 team as well. I feel like it was like Oregon or something. And he acted like he was breaking the finish line, putting his chest out mm-hmm. and dropping the ball at like the one. Um, but, yeah, the, the boneheaded mistakes like that, they're entirely avoidable. They, they drive me nuts as a college football fan. Oh, absolutely. I, like I said, Utah jumped on it, but the very next play they did get a safety, which put Washington at 35. So it still worked out in their favor, but – that could have could have led to a Utah game winning drive and really smashed their playoff hopes potentially. So they got very lucky today. Michael Penix, three thirty two and two touchdowns. What he does, three hundred plus multiple touchdowns weekly. It was the Roma Dunze show. Only three catches for one eleven and two touchdowns. Only three for one eleven. Only that's it for a thirty seven average. That's just insane. Just easy day for him. Yeah, this game was this was more of a defensive battle, which surprising being a Pac-12, but also not surprising when Utah's involved. They really know how to hamper down on those offenses, even though they did let up 35. That's very good when you're playing Washington and Michael Penix this year. Absolutely, I know that before the game, Washington was still the best passing offense in the nation, coming in at 355.7 yards a game. Um, You know, he had 332. It's a little bit less than what he's been doing on average. But uh, like you said, Utah, if you can hold that Washington team to 35, man, you're doing pretty damn good. Uh, Jalen Polk wasn't much of a factor today. I had six six targets for four catches, 55 yards, no touchdowns. Um, you know, like you said, really the only one through the air that got anything, you know, more than marginal was, was a Dunze. Yeah, no Jalen McMillan once again. I believe I saw he has a knee injury and he's going for a second opinion. But to be getting a second opinion, typically that's not good news. So hopefully he heals up very, very soon. And I don't think we're going to see him back this season, unfortunately. That would suck because I love that three-headed monster between McMillan, Jalen Polk, and, and Adunze. Um, you know, Polk and Adunze are still great receivers on their own and together. Uh, hell of a matchup against any defensive secondary, but you know, you're missing missing a part of the three-headed monster makes it hurt. Uh, Washington's running back had a bit of a day as well. Um, what's what's his first name? Yeah, Dylan Johnson had another big game. Yeah, 23 for 104 and a touchdown. So, you know, this Washington offense, for the most part, was just clicking on all cylinders. They just didn't put up the 50 points a game. Yeah, this will be the downside of Washington. If they come up against a good defensive team, their defense is not so great themselves. So it's going to be a shootout. And if they start to turn the ball over, Penix makes bad throws and mistakes, it could be over in a hurry for them. Yeah, like you said, um, you know, Washington, they I don't think they had any turnovers today. Penix didn't throw any, and I'm not seeing any fumbles lost on this. So, you know, they only won by seven to a, a good Utah team with a good defense and didn't turn the ball over. You know, if they go up against any of the, <clears throat> excuse me, top four teams and have a turnover or two, I mean, it can be a totally different story. Yeah, that's the... Last game we have from the early 
noon, 3.30 Eastern windows. So the upcoming games we're talking about are still in progress. And we'll head down to Georgia for the first one. Top 10 matchup with Ole Miss and Georgia. Currently at halftime, Georgia is up 28-14. to 14. This has been a pretty good one so far. Unfortunately for Ole Miss, they did make that mistake of an interception. So that really turned the tide for them. Jackson Dart outside that playing really well. 111 through the air, 19 on the ground. Star sophomore Quinshawn Jukins, already 14 carries for 55 and a pair of touchdowns in the first half. Carson Beck, another riser for the – technically he is 2024 eligible, but I don't see him coming out. I've seen him rank top five on a few draft analyst boards for quarterbacks. I'm not quite there yet. I think he's more of a 2025 class guy, and he's playing very well. Is better than Jackson Dart. 13 to 15 for 214, a touchdown, but he also threw an interception. So they're matching interceptions, but of course, Georgia knows how to take advantage of those turnovers. Yeah, I'm uh I'm piggybacking you off of the, on the Carson Beck. Um, I think he'd be better off going in 2025. Said it before, say it again, I'll say it every day. Anytime you're not going up against Caleb Williams in a draft class, I would recommend not. So um, I know Carson Beck's flown under the radar pretty well this year, and he's definitely shot up my Debbie boards, but um, or my Debbie rankings. But he's to me, I don't see him as a as a top five quarterback in this upcoming class. I mean, you're talking about putting, you know, JJ Caleb Williams, who, who must listen, uh, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, and there's four right there. Try to say Drake May. Drake May, nope, didn't say him. That's five. Yeah, maybe, maybe I, I Quinn Ewers coming back. You think? Uh, I'm up in the air on that right now. To be honest, he did make his return tonight, which we'll talk about that game. So I don't know. We'll talk more about him in a couple minutes. But Brock Bowers did come back tonight. He had two and twenty six in the first half. He looked pretty good from when I was watching him. He caught the ball at the line of scrimmage. The good old Brock Bowers special caught it, made a man miss, and headed upfield for some extra yardage. So I'm glad he is back and healthy. I did have a season-long prop bet on him to go over like 750, I think, receiving yards. So hopefully tonight in the next two regular season games, he can put up about 200 receiving yards for me and cash that prop. That would be nice for you. Um, you know, still on the same side, Georgia. Uh, Lad McConkey's currently the leading uh, target reception yards and reception leader and has the only receiving touchdown. He's got Four catches on five targets, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, this will probably be the game that I didn't tune into after we get off of here, uh, depending on if we go play the new MW3, but that's that's the game I'm probably looking forward to the most. I've got the Ohio State-Michigan State game to me on the side, but it's it's not looking like a very much of a game. So, Oh, yeah, the good old new con. we gotta we got to be Kyler Murray, baby. Play it as much as we can. Got to unlock all the new weapons and stuff. Oh, we're, 30, we're 30 now. We got to act like we're 16 again. Come on now. It's hey, the time of our lives, baby. That's what we're here for. I know it's a, a rabbit hole, but this is the most excited I've been for Call of Duty in a long time. So I'm right there with that. you. We'll go ahead and move on to Oklahoma and West Virginia. I was more hopeful West Virginia would pull out a W, if not put up a fight. They're down 31-7, about 20 seconds left in the first half. Touchdown machine. C.J. Donaldson scored very early in the game. I'd say that, 10 carries for 46, so not much else he has been doing. 
Garrett Green, quarterback for West V, hasn't been able to get going on the ground like he has most of the season. Dylan Gabriel playing very well, 226 and two touchdowns, and two more on the ground. So little too little too late for these big performances for him in Oklahoma this season, unfortunately. Yeah, they sit they sit with two losses now. Uh two, yeah, two. Yeah, I mean it it sucks. I think he was another Heisman hopeful. I know I had him uh put him early in the year for a dollar on FanDuel to possibly win thirty one bucks. Uh cash that out when it went down to sixteen cents. But yeah, too little too late for Oklahoma. You know, it's it sucks, man. You beat Texas, look great, and then you don't. Yeah, unfortunately for them, but that's the Oklahoma way. It's been that way since Bob Stoops left. Unfortunate for them. Shoot, it was even that way there towards the end of Stoops, but I'm with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma defense hadn't been good in years. No, even Brett Venables apparently can't turn that thing around in two years. <laughs> right. We'll move on to their rivals, as you mentioned, Texas. On the road to TCU, just kicked off the second quarter. They are up 10-6. to The returning Quinn Ewers, 6-10. of 10. For 165 and an interception so far. So that's not terrible, but not the best when you see an interception already. But they are in the lead. Jonathan Brooks, 12 carries for 42 and a touchdown. He also has a 73-yard reception that set up that touchdown. And Xavier Worthy has four for 85 already. So, yeah, so I mean, far, I'm so good for them. Just excited to see what Texas builds on, you know, I mean, I know it's not quite halftime yet in the second half, just to see if they make some adjustments and get stuff going. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, you know, we've talked about the guy a lot on this show and on our own. Um, He's a sneaky 24 guy, isn't he? Wouldn't you say? I don't know about sneaky, man. He's in my top three 24 running backs. Oh, he was sneaky at the beginning of the season. Uh, I think you and I both fell for the C.J. Baxter uh, junior guy. Who's had a, a good season on his own as well, but Jonathan Brooks, he's he's obviously again a focal point of this offense and it's been the the leading recipient of that running back room so far this season. He's good. Oh, he's probably the most complete back in this class. Good size, sweet feet, good hands. It's extremely, extremely good. And as we know, Sark every year has had a thousand yard rusher, and Jonathan Brooks has already surpassed that before tonight by 35 yards. So he continues to have a 1,000-yard rushers, season in, season out. So great for C2C and CFF leagues. You want that running back in Texas while Sark is there, wherever the hell he's at. You want his number one running back, they're going to put up numbers. Yeah, sometimes it's just going to be hard deciphering who that one guy is. But yeah, It might take a couple weeks till we see it, like, like this season. All the reports and everything where C.J. Baxter was the best-looking running back, and then here we go with Jonathan Brooks rolling out to start the year. and. There he goes. I mean, to be fair, you know, all three of the biggest guys in Texas at running back room have had had their own games. You know, obviously it's been the Brooks show for most of the season. Baxter's had a few games. I think Jadon Blue had one a couple weeks ago as well. Yeah, they they have some very talented running backs, quarterbacks, receivers. They're just very talented all around. Defense is great. And they're not out of the college football playoff race. They're currently ranked number eight, I believe. At seven or eight, they, their only loss was the, you know, we just talked about Oklahoma, but Texas has, uh, since that game, looked pretty good. Uh, although, you know, Malik Murphy's been the starting quarterback because Quinn was out, but 
Um, I think the next couple weeks with Quinn back, you can make the case for Texas as well, depending on how Washington and Oregon shake up. Yeah, they went out and beat, well, I mean, who? Let's see here. I don't even know who they would play in the Big 12 championship game. Now that they did beat K-State, Oklahoma State took a loss today. Uh, let's see here. So Oklahoma State and K-State are tied for second. Oklahoma, if they win, would be tied as well. And like Once again, there's going to be like a three, four, five-way tie for second place. There's a lot of teams with two losses right now. Yeah, I'm just looking at looking the same thing. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Oklahoma could all be tied after the night. Which is bonkers. Yeah, I don't. I would hate to see um, how that shakes out. Many um, of those teams, though, I don't. It'll be a decent test for for Texas, but I don't. They'd have to go out there and win, do the Ohio State in 2014, win 59 to zero, I think, to jump anybody yeah. ahead of them. Yeah, looking at things right now, if Oklahoma State beats Houston and BYU, they would be in. They've already beat K-State, Kansas, and Oklahoma. They don't play Texas this year. So it would be Oklahoma State and Texas if they both went out. That'd be a good game. I'd like that. Wouldn't be bad. No, could see you know, Ollie Gordon, all the Debbie pieces on the Texas side of things. That would be a fun one. I'm That's the one I'm pulling for. Again, that would yeah, be good too. viewers and Texas overall. Right, and then like you mentioned, Ollie Gordon against the real tough Texas defense who, mm-hmm. you know, really has been tough all year. Just salivating thinking of that matchup. Ooh, I love I me some Ollie Gordon. I know a lot of people don't, but I think I'm sold on him. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm not quite ready to plant that flag yet, but I'm I'm close. Oh, don't worry. I'll dig up the hole for you and you can put it next to mine. <laughs> oh, I'll be there soon, I'm sure. He is a top five Debbie running back in my rankings at the moment. He has went from ranked in the late 20s, early 30s, all the way up to top five. He's just a monster. Great size, explosive, good hands. He can do it all. He reminds me of Le'Veon Bell a little bit, his size and kind of the way he moves and how patient he is. I'm excited for him. I I can definitely see the comparison Le'Veon Bell. I I like that. you know, Le'Veon Bell just seemed like he was a what's the word I'm looking for? A he was like patient beyond his years. He always let everything develop in front of him before he decided what to do. So I, I like that. Oh yeah, Nick Singleton did that on one play. I swear he was standing right behind the offensive line for a good two and a half, three seconds behind the line of scrimmage. Same thing, chopping your feet, looking for that hole, and then he ended up turning what looked to be a loss into about three, four yard gain because he was patient and found that opening. Right, which is what, you know, to me are the plays that stick out between some guys that just run, run, run compared to, to me, true NFL talent. Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. In the last game, we have Duke and North Carolina. No Riley Leonard for Duke. So, for me, that pretty much all hope of an upset is gone at that point for me. Right now, they're down 13 nothing beginning of the second. Drake Mays, 10 of 13 for 132. And Omarion Hampton is going to have a huge game if he continues at this rate. 13 carries for 77 yards already. And Devontae Walker has two catches for 48. Yeah, without, uh, like you said, without Leonard, I mean, I don't know if I really tune in this game a whole heck of a lot. Looks like Drake May um, stole Marion Hampton's touchdown, rushing touchdown. But, yeah, this 
North Carolina is going to wallop. Damn vulture. That's the words for vulture team. That's it. Thank you. And vulture on the one yard line. So unfortunate. It happens. I think Devontae Walker scores one here soon too. Anyways, but yeah, this this game to me not super interesting without Riley Leonard. Yeah, it's unfortunate season. He had uh, some pretty good draft hype coming in. A little bit of a sleeper to a lot of people, and then got banged up, got hurt after looking pretty good early in the year. Uh, looking at ACC standings, I'd say Tar Heels are an outside shot to make it. They're currently in fifth. Florida State's in. They are 8-0 in the conference. Louisville is 6-1. and So if they went out, they are in as well. Then we got NC State, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, all with two losses. Yeah, I think um, we talked about it before. I, I think the Louisville-Florida State matchup makes the most sense. Um, you know, Louisville only has one loss. You know, eight, six and one in conference. Florida State's eight and zero. I just, I, to me, that makes the most sense. I'd, I'd like that game a lot more in the UNC game. Yeah, I mean, ACC only plays eight conference games. So tonight was Florida State's last. They play Florida Thanksgiving weekend, and then they play. It looks like I believe it's North North Alabama. Yeah, next week. So good old cupcake to head into Gainesville. Oh yeah, little tune-up game. And then Louisville draws Miami next week on the road. I don't know if they slip up there. NC State wins again. Virginia Tech and North Carolina. We things might get a little bit interesting with tiebreakers. They definitely could. Um, that could. That could be a trap game for Louisville at, at Miami. It definitely could. But, you know, it's – I don't know, man. Miami is, is so up and down. Like, you know, the, the game we talked about earlier, they barely lost to Florida State 27-20 and have a chance. You know, it, it could be that. They, they could also go out there and lose by 20. Yeah, they said they looked very good to start the year. I had an impressive win against Texas A&M. And since then, absolutely nothing. Uh, they, they beat North Carolina and Clipson this year, but they're both having down years. NC State put the hurting on Miami, you know, 20 to 6. I, yeah. Uh, the ACC, if you're not Florida State, is just beating up on each other. Which is what we enjoy seeing. Oh, absolutely. I think Florida State, without a doubt, has stuck out as the best team in the ACC. There's, there's no question. Oh, by far, no, bar none. But we'll move on to just a handful of Debbie standout performances that we didn't go over in any of the highlighted games tonight. Uh, first up, 2024 running back Jarquez Hunter had himself a day against Arkansas. Unfortunately, no touchdowns. He broke a handful of my parlays by not getting in the end zone like he typically does. But he had 109 on the ground, a 14 through the air. That continues his streak of his third straight 100-yard game heading into the end of the season. So he is definitely someone to keep your eye on throughout the draft process. And I'm not sure if you heard, but the NFL or whoever makes the decision on the all-star games, you know, senior bowl, shrine bowl, all those all-star games are typically seniors only, but now juniors can join in the fun as well. So guys like Jarquez Hunter could possibly make an appearance on an all-star game and rise his stock before the combine and all that good stuff. Wasn't the um, the Senior Bowl? I mean, it was explicitly for seniors for you know scouts and such to get 
looks at seniors who might not have, you know, put it together throughout the season. Wouldn't, wouldn't that the whole point? So they're opening up to juniors now too. Yeah, but that was the rule previously was seniors only for all the all-star games. That's what the NFL had in place. Gotcha. So they but, opened it up for underclass for juniors. Yeah. Yeah. But from what I've heard, the senior bowl is still plans to keep it, you know, majority seniors. Cause that's the name of it. That's, that's the theme. That's what it's for. You go to Mobile for the Senior Bowl and you rise that draft stock. And this year, there's a lot of seniors that could do it. So hopefully the, the juniors don't horn in on that too much. Well, I mean, it's it's exciting to be able to get your chance as a, a, an underclassman to, you know, put a little bit more on tape and get seen by scouts and stuff if you weren't extremely highly scouted and recruited anyways. So I, I think it's a good thing for football. Then we'll move on to another running back, Devin Neal from Kansas. And they lost to Texas Tech, surprisingly. 19 carries for 137, one touchdown, and 12 through the air. So he has another pretty big game. And once again, another 2024 running back. That's, you know, middle of my rankings towards the lower end. But I am a big fan of him. Great size. Damn good receiver. 5'11", 210. He can run between the tackles very fast and quick with his feet. He could be a riser as well. Yeah, I know on that touchdown run, I actually saw that it was a 60-yarder, um, you know, just kind of jotted outside. I almost got caught on the tail end of the play, but I, I like him as a prospect. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like I said, he's got the NFL size, and he has an NFL skill set. So he's someone to watch. As are most of the 2024 running backs, most of them are all clumped together. You know, somebody's going to break out and be impressive at, at some point through the draft process that we were not quite expecting. You get that every year. You know, and he's he's one of them this year for sure. And, and another running back. Cal's sophomore running back, Jaden Ott, who I am a huge fan of, watching him from his freshman season. 27 carries for 167 and a touchdown. And 18 and another touchdown through the receiving game. Three straight games of 100 rush – or sorry – 200-plus carries for him. Two out of three, he did have 150-plus. He's a riser in the 2025 class where there's been quite a few fallers in that one. He's surpassing some of the guys that you wouldn't think of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, again, another guy that kind of fits that bill we like to see in running back, six foot 220 and kind of good at everything, like you said. Um, you know, back or out of two of the last three games, 150-plus yards on the ground. And, you know, a little bit of receiving work here and there. Um, I'll take my chances on him for sure. Oh, absolutely. Again, good size, great skill set. One of the better receiving backs in the 25 class. Unfortunately, he is playing at Cal. So not a lot of Midwesterners, East Coast, see him due to that. And Cal's not very good. So he doesn't get a lot of publicity, a lot of national recognition. But hopefully that changes next year because he is one impressive running back such as another Pac-12 running back, Damian Martinez. This game just closed up not too long ago. 15 rushes for 146 and four touchdowns on the ground. He outscored Stanford by himself. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to say about that. 146 and four all on the ground. I mean, you've been talking about Damian Martinez since I think week one or week two uh, pretty highly. You know, he's... He should be on people's boards. He's been doing it all season. Um, and I feel like he's kind of the heart and soul of this offense. 
Oh, yeah. As as Damian goes, that offense goes. He makes it a lot easier on DJU, Aiden Childs when he's in the game. So he is he's a top top four running back for me in the 25 class. This oh, 25 yeah. running back class is looking pretty bright. As long as we don't get the 24 treatment and 25 will be okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I know that DJU, you know, Aiden Childs, who I'm a huge fan of. I know you are too. Um if they were losing to Aiden Charles, they get a lot more work, but you know, they're, you're winning no, no chance or no sense in changing it up if it ain't broke. Uh, but yeah, Damian Martinez makes this offense go and gives DJU, you know, just fallback options, makes it easy on him. Yeah. Unfortunately, Childs hasn't been handed the job this year, but Oregon state and Kansas state as well. They're both doing really I'm trying to look for my words here. I like their game plan with their two freshman quarterbacks, Avery Johnson for K-State, Childs for Oregon State. Playing when they can, even if it's not a blowout, they're still out there getting some kind of work, live game reps. So next year when they do take over, assuming they do, which they should, they're going to be ahead of the curb. They're going to be ahead of like where Drew Waller's at right now, where, what is it, Kate Klubnick is, I'd say, as well, where Connor Wegman was. Ahead so of the game more, them out tremendously. Ahead of the game more so than what Kyle McCord was because CJ Stroud never came out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think um I, I get putting, you know, your your freshman quarterbacks in when it when it's a blowout, but you know, if if the game's it doesn't have to be a blowout for them to get some meaningful snaps, you know, make them play against the other team's opposing ones. Um, you know, because once the game's over, you put your twos and threes in. But to me, those aren't meaningful. That those are practice reps at that point. Yeah, like last week or the week before, Aiden Childs had a rushing touchdown in the first quarter. Right. Because he was just – that was the game script they called for. Oh, well, I mean so – I, I'm enjoying that. I've mentioned it a couple of times, but like what Florida did in years past with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, like to me that's like – I know that that's more of a niche thing because Tebow was the run or the jump pass type thing. That was pretty much all he came in for. But if you can get your underclassmen quarterbacks, your, your young, highly recruited guys – meaningful snaps against, you know, ones and tough defenses, they're going to be so much better prepared for the following season. You know, keep the leash still short, but meaningful snaps. Easy plays. Oh, yes, absolutely. Move on to the last one. Your boy, Cameron Ward, had a very impressive game and an unfortunate three-point loss on the road to Cal. 354 pass yards, three touchdowns, and one more on the ground. He did have one pick but he was also sacked a whopping six times. So he did everything in his power to will this team to a win and four touchdowns and 350 plus pass yards just wasn't enough on this night. Yeah. I mean, it, I think they're finally getting back to what the bread and butter was the first four games of the season when this team was still ranked and, and pretty good in my opinion. Um, but you, you got to keep him up healthy. You know, six sacks. That, that's not good. In this defense, and they need to get him a break here and there. There's no reason Cal should be putting up 42 on you. You know, Cal put up 49 on USC. Uh, to me, Washington State's defense is a, is a good bit better than USC's defense, but not tonight. Yeah, I, th- I think he's coming back. This is his fourth year playing, but of course, his freshman year was the COVID year, I believe, 2020. So I, he should have that extra year of eligibility, and I think he's going to come back. I think he should. Um, he'd just be better again. Say it again. 
not being in a draft class with Caleb Williams makes sense. And a guy who's been so up and down so far, pretty much as you know, the last two years at least, um, if he could put something together for the whole season, doesn't have to be, you know, way up and keep it, maintain it, but you know, just constantly going up would be nice. You know, I feel like he's he's been quite up and down the last four or five weeks. I think it's more offensive play calling, but uh, yeah. when, when it's working, it's it's really worked. They just need to stick to that same game plan, but it's hard when they get down. Right. Yeah. Once you get down, throw everything out the window, scrap it. Something's not working. Yeah. But while we're on the subject, the players coming back, I got Cam Ward coming back. It looks like Shadur Sanders will be returning for his senior year. And then, as we talked a little bit about, I think Quinn Ewers comes back. He's had a a pretty good season, better than last season, but again, injured, missed some time. This is a loaded quarterback class. I think it would be better for him to come back, get another year of experience under his belt. Unfortunate for like Malik Malik Murphy, he would obviously transfer out at that point, I assume. And then Arch Manning would be sitting for one more season. But I think it's in best interest of his NFL career, come back, progress a little bit more, put some more tape out there, as opposed to back-to-back injured season, missing, what, five games in two years and only playing a season and a half, basically. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, and I don't know if people forgot, but he also, you know, entered college football early. He forgo- he foregoed his senior season of high school and went and went to Ohio State, uh, didn't play. I think Ryan Day was pretty pissed at him for doing that because it, you know, anticipated C.J. Stroud leaving and having – having him there the following year, but uh, whatever. I mean, so you, you got to sit there and think, what well, this is, uh, this is year three of college football, right? One at Ohio state, this will be two at Texas. Correct. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he comes back next year, he'd really be, I know not classified, but really like the age of a junior quarterback in college. Like I said, you know, four years of college quarterbacking, but you know, in those three years he's been currently, like you said, he's, a year and a half at best of total games out of the you know all three years um if i was him i'd come back absolutely to me it's an easy question an easy answer yeah i don't see the upside anymore i said he would be a top five pick coming out this year that looks to not be the case we got caleb williams we got jj mccarthy who's my quarterback two Drake may quarterback three Michael Penix is pretty hot. Bo Nix is hot. So at best, he'd probably be quarterback four. Who knows if we see four quarterbacks go in the first round this year. I think at this point, Caleb, May, and McCarthy are all locked in for the first round. Caleb 101, May probably top five, and McCarthy probably top 15, maybe top 10. But after that, who knows if the teams are going to take a chance on fifth-year Michael Penix, a fifth-year Bo Nix, and rather inexperienced Quinn Ewers. I don't know. I just don't see it right now, unfortunately. Yeah, that's uh, basically the same way as how my quarterback rankings have shaken out. Obviously, Caleb Williams is locked. The one has been for three years. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, J.J. is currently my two as well. Drake May is three. Uh, Drake May, after he lost – or after I bumped him out of two, never made his way back. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Michael Penix is, you know, he's been healthy the last two years, but he was pretty injury riddled before that. Uh, 
looked good, but you know, had like a year four breakout. You know, that, that didn't look too good. Uh, Bo Nix, again, a fifth year senior as well, also up there in age, didn't really start turning heads until you know, mid late last year. So, I mean, not calling them Joe Burrows, those don't come along very often, but you know, they, they also don't happen to play out very well often either. Those, you know, fifth year guys who have a crazy senior season and, and go out there and make it work. Yeah, if he does come back along with Shadur and Cam Ward, that would make for a very interesting 2025 class. I also think Jackson Dart comes back. We didn't mention him much in that regard. So those four come back, and we also have Connor Wegman, Kate Klubnick, Drawler. That could be a very interesting class as well. Yeah, it's a pretty tall class. I don't know if it's necessarily star-studded, but it's pretty tall. Um you know, if all that happened, I'd, I'd have a hard time not saying it. would definitely be between Quinn and Shadur. Yeah, I would say so. With what they've done so far compared to Jeraller, I think Quinn would probably be QB1 at some point. But it, it would be very interesting, and it would be good for, the, good for Debbie, good for Dynasty, good for fantasy football overall. And most of all, probably benefit the players more as opposed to coming out this year. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I don't really have much more to add on other than um, I'd still think extremely highly of Drew Waller. I just, again, I'm going to badmouth James Franklin a little bit. I don't think he's a very good coach or an offensive schemist or offensive mind. He can get like the Drew- players in the door, but that's about where the buck stops. Yeah. I think I said last week he's Jimbo Fisher light. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher, the Big Ten. I'm with you. And before you get out of here, we'll check in on your Buckeyes. They're up 35 to three against Sparty. Both of them being the main rivals of my Michigan Wolverines. I can't lose in this matchup. Somebody's going to take a loss. Comacord, 21 to 25 for 263 and a trio of touchdowns. Travion, 63 and a touchdown. Marvin Harrison, one touchdown on the ground that we're not used to seeing. Then six catches for 92 and another two through the air. Cade Stover, who could be a sleeper tight end for the 24 class. Seven catches for 79 and a touchdown. So that offense is clicking. But it's Michigan State, so temper the expectations maybe a little bit because their defense is pretty damn soft. Everyone's ran them over so far. But Kyle McCord looks impressive tonight with his stats. And, of course, Marvin, you're – you're not going to stop him unless you're Rutgers, apparently. Yeah, he was bracketed the whole game, so I'll, I'll let that go. And Greg Shiano's a good defensive-minded coach. Um, but, yeah, this is, to me, I mean, I'm, I haven't watched it, but, you know, here and there I look over. Um, some of the throws Cotton Gordon has made tonight, though, of, I think it's his best game by far. I know it's Michigan State, like you said, but, you know, he's he's actually doing doing work. He's not just taking what the defense is giving him. He's actually making the right reads, making the right throws, and making good throws. Yeah, he is. He is. So, shout out to him for playing very well tonight in the first half so far. I'm sure he'll get a quick hook. But while we're on the back to the 2025 quarterbacks, Common Court's going to be in there. Uh, who else? There was somebody else I had in mind. Carson Beck from Georgia will likely be in there as well. So, throw another couple veterans into that class. it's. I think we're going to be kind of the same sentiment we've talked about with the 24 class so far, very loaded and deep. 
I think the 25 class with the returning veterans could be in a similar mold. They're not going to have the superstar Caleb Williams, of course, or superstar-esque Drake May at this point, but it's going to be a pretty solid class. I mean, you you probably won't see a – well, I shouldn't say that. You'll probably see a quarterback taken in the top five, but it won't be a one you know first overall pick. But we could still see three or four of them taken in the first round. Oh, Jalen Milrow. Can't forget about yeah. him. He's 24 yeah, eligible, but I don't see him coming out. And he has made big strides this season as just a quarterback. We know what he can do on the ground. He's a Konami code. Yeah. Uh, speaking Konami of Konami code, code plus with his, his speed and athleticism, it's we, we didn't not even compare him to the other Jalen Hurts, yeah. but he's Look. a better runner than Jalen Hurts, more athletic and faster. If he can keep improving, man, he could be a fantasy stud a la Anthony Richardson. As long as he stays healthy. College. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of, you know, he got put in the fire early. Then he got yanked and put on the bench. And since he's been back in as a starter, he has been lighting the college football world on fire. Yeah. That benching didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, you know, they, they put Buckner out and Simpson out. It was, you know, he beat out Simpson pretty easily. And to me, Buckner is, you know, basically the same type of player as, as Jalen Milrow, but 50% of the player. To me, it was to me. There was no question who the guy was. It just you needed to work through it. Uh, but mm-hmm. a twenty-four guy, we forgot to mention. Also, probably Jaden Daniels. Jalen Daniels, I think it's Jaden. Yes, LSU. LSU. Oh yeah, he's gone. We talked a good bit about him last week. Oh no, but I'm saying we didn't mention him in top five. Talking about, um, yeah, he's on the cusp of that. I'd say. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We were talking about um, shoot, who were you saying about five guys being over top of him? I can't remember. Ewers. Ah, Ewers. I'd probably take Daniels over Ewers at this point. Yeah. Yeah, with the way he's played this year. and With him, it's just going to be a, like a Jalen Hurts, second, yes. third round pick. It's going to take the right team and system to unlock his full potential and make him a starter. And so we'll see around him. Yeah. yeah. But he, same thing as Milrow. He's made extremely good slot strides in his progression since last year. Like each year, he has definitely improved over his college career. Came in as a gunslinger, just wanted to throw that deep ball. Now he's a lethal passer, very good accuracy. And we've seen what he can do with his legs. It doesn't get much better on the ground than Jaden Daniels. Unless your name's Milrow. That, that's about it. Yeah, Milrow's just a, he's a different type of beast, man, when it comes to running the ball. He's probably the most athletic person on that Alabama team, and that's saying something. Milrow, in, in a way, reminds me a bit of Lamar when he was at Louisville. Yeah, I feel like once he gets, gets out in the open field, not many people can catch him, and he's a load at 6'2", 220 as well. He's not a small guy. He can go through you or go around you. Yeah, he's, Take he's your not poison. a... Yeah, he, you don't have to make him soaking wet to, you know, lift his weight up a little bit. Yeah, and his QBR, you know, his quarterback rating per ESPN, he's sixth in the nation. So don't a, don't knock him for his throwing abilities just yet. He's he said he's improving. I mean, and then tying into that as well, being sixth in the nation, we also got to think about the wide receiver room he's throwing to. 
you know, I know that we, you and I both had a lot of hopes for, you know, some guys in there, me particularly, Isaiah Bond, uh, Shaz Preston, guys like that. But, you know, it, none of it's really come to fruition. It's it, like week to week, we don't know who the guy's going to be. So uh, Milrow's doing his best what he's got. I mean, looking at his overall season stats, he has five picks, but he's also started, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten games. So he's averaging – you know, half a pick a game, a pick every other week, basically. 1,800 yards, 13 touchdowns, 65 completion percentage. I mean, top, like I said, top six in quarter QBR, quarterback rating. I mean, I think we're overlooking him as a passer, as yeah. uh, just not us. I think everyone outside of Alabama fans, even them, I've seen them shit on Milrow for not being the best passer they're used to seeing. But I think we're we're overlooking that, and that could be a mistake. Yeah, them shitting on Milrow, like you said, kind of reminds me of the year one C.J. Stroud started, and you know all the Ohio State fans that were delusional were, you know, yank him out of there after the Rutgers game. It's like, okay, this, no, this kid's good. And obviously, years later, we see that in the NFL. So yeah, I'd I'd, I'd hold up a little bit on Jalen Milrow not being a good passing quarterback. Um, I think there's a lot more to be seen than what we're ready for. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's had two games of 80-plus completion percentage. One and, again, mentioning, and again, mentioning the wide receiver room that we thought was going to be great and it hasn't been. You know, So just yeah. imagine what he does next year with an even better receiver room. Yeah, I'm hoping he comes back. Again, I think that would be best for him to get a second year starting under his belt. He, he's good, man. He, I'm getting more and more excited the more I see him, the more I look at him. He's good. He's got – he's a plus athlete. He's Anthony Richardson 2.0, but I think he could possibly be better than A. Rich. Better, you say? You think so? Better. I think he's ahead of where A. Rich was last year as a passer oh, yeah. significantly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anthony Richardson as a passer was was not good. Left a lot to be desired. I think, yeah, Milrose definitely surpassed in passing. As far as a runner, I think they're neck and neck in my eyes. Almost the only thing A-Rich has on him is he's bigger. He's like two inches taller. got another 20, 25 pounds on him. But as far as speed and strength and running ability, making people miss, vision, I think Milrose up there with him, if not better. Yeah, what I was uh... – I was just thinking that because Anthony Richardson was built at what, like two or six four, two forty. Yeah, Anthony. I mean, he was Cam Newton two point oh, but better arm. Yeah, so keep your tabs on Milrow, man. I'm keep I do, your tabs on him. I do want to say something because I keep hearing people saying that Shadur Sanders can't run the ball. But to me, that should be should be fucking squashed. I mean, the guy can run. He had another passing or rushing touchdown today. Um, and, it's and, hard to run when you don't have time to throw the ball. Yeah, absolutely. When you're getting sacked six times a game. And then uh, parlaying off that as well, um, people being concerned about Shadur Sanders' size. Shadur is 6'2". Caleb Williams is 6'1". So, you know, let's let's temper that a little bit as well. Yeah, we haven't really heard much knocking on Caleb Williams' size. Like I said, he's only 6'1". He's not 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". Shadur is bigger than Caleb Williams. I mean, I'm just yeah. saying it straight out there. He he is bigger and, and weighs more. 
six two, I think two fifteen, two twenty, and Caleb's is six one two oh five. They're Shadur is bigger. Yeah, which there's no reason not Caleb Williams on his size. Not saying there is, but no, something I'm not, a lot I'm, of fancy I'm, people like to do. He's not he's not a big guy. I'm not, but I'm we not hear nothing to, about it. I'm I'm not trying to knock Caleb Williams at all. I'm just saying if you're gonna use that as your your reasoning, just remember what Caleb Williams is. That's a great point. Size size argument should be made for just about everyone. If that's yeah. Your main if argument on someone. If that's where you're going with it, just make sure you stick to that same resume and code. You know, or, or without a doubt, 100% Devi QB1 is smaller. So just, just keep that there. But on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap things up, put a bow on it, and get out of here for the night. So thank you guys all for tuning in once again. As always, please give us a follow on X at Gump7285 at D underscore cook nine three. You can find of course destination destination Debbie at destination Debbie. You can find our show, Gridiron Fantasy Show at Gridiron underscore FS. Weekly episodes dropping late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. So check into that for additional Debbie analysis this week. And then check out my weekly Debbie buys and sells on destinationdebbie.com. The last one just dropped this past Friday. Uh, all 2024 Debbie buys and sells to get you guys ready for the upcoming draft class. So check that out. And again, appreciate you tuning in. And we'll see you again on the next one. See ya. Thanks for listening. <laughs>